Well, good morning, church. It is a, a blessing to be able to come and share the Word of God with you this morning. As Jeff mentioned, we are continuing in our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And I have to admit that it seems like we are moving way faster than we did in the first half. You know, it's, it's been a, an amazing book for, for me as, as I've been studying these passages and as we, I've been sitting under the preaching of the other pastors, and just to be so encouraged to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. Uh, thank you, Isaac, for that song. I think that's a, a song that really speaks to the issue that we have been changed. And if we have been changed, then we are called to bring change as well, and we're called to go into the world and to preach the gospel. And so as we look at Ephesians 5 this morning, verses 1 through 7, just a, a little recap. And back in, in chapter 2, verse 6, we see that, that we are seated in the heavenly places. That's, that's our position in Christ, that we're seated in the heavenly places. And then Paul tells us, now that we've been seated, now we are to walk. And he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says that we, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 17, and he tells us how not to walk, not to walk as the Gentiles walk. And in our passage today, we're going to see that we are to, to walk in love and we're told later on in verse 8, which we'll see next week, Lord willing, um, that we are to, to walk in light. And then in verse 15, we're told to, to walk carefully. And eventually, we'll get into chapter 6, where, where Paul tells us, now, now that we've done everything to walk, we're told to stand and to stand firm. And so we have these different positions that we have in Christ. We're seated in the heavenly places, yet we have a work to do. So Please read with me Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the living God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning just reminded that that I am a weak vessel. Your, your word tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 4 that we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, these, these weak vessels to show the, the power of, of the gospel. And it's, it's not about us, it's about you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be my strength and my portion, my ever-present help. And my time of need, that as I proclaim the truth of, of this passage, that I would be faithful to proclaim it, and that people would understand it, and that they would apply it. Father, there are some hard things that need to be said. Lord, I pray that I would not shrink back from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Lord, I pray that you would muse me again as that weak vessel I pray, Lord, that people would have ears to hear, in Jesus' name, amen. I know that in this passage, it says in verse 1 that we are to be imitators of God, and the truth is we, we all tend to want to imitate somebody. You know, as a young 
boy, you might want to imitate one of your sporting or your, your athletes. As a, as a young child, you may want to imitate your, your parents. As a, as a young boy, I know many of you are aware of this, but I, I grew up playing hockey. And uh, when, I, when I tell people that I grew up playing hockey, they'll say, where did you live that you played hockey? And they'll, you know, they assume that I, I grew up maybe on the East Coast or in the, you know, up north somewhere. And I say I grew up in Torrance. <laughs> There's a rink over on, on Western Avenue that, that uh, I played at. And it was just a, a great thing for me to grow up playing hockey in the South Bay because not too many people did it. But one of the things is I had a person that I really admired. They played for the Los Angeles Kings. They were one of the top scorers in the, in, in the league. And it was just a, he, he, was, he was the person that I wanted to play like. And, and so, I, you know, I, I would go to Kings games with my mom. I was, I was blessed to be able to do that. And, and I just, I was just amazed at the way this, this person played. And and some of you are probably thinking, Why? I wonder who it was, and it wasn't Wayne Gretzky. It was much earlier than that. <laughs> In fact, this person actually outscored Wayne Gretzky in one season. His name was Marcel Dion. The thing about Marcel Dion is he was, a, he was an amazing goal scorer. But the truth be said, the reason that I liked him is he was the smallest guy on the team. <laughs> he was the smallest guy on the team, but he was tenacious and he played so hard. And, and I just wanted to play like him. And, and looking back as, as, I, as I grew up playing, I, I did kind of imitate him. There were things that, that I did that, that were clearly things that he did. And I, I learned from, from his example and you know, there's really something that I think that is so embedded in us as, as human beings that, that cause us to want to imitate the things we love or the people we love or, or those who we esteem. You know, there's times that students, they'll imitate what? They'll, they'll imitate their teacher. Their children will imitate their parents. And so people are always wanting to, to imitate other people and and when you look about the, the, the world that we live in, people want to, to imitate really people who probably shouldn't be imitated. You know, sometimes it's singers or actors or, or athletes. And it, it's not that, you know, we shouldn't say that they're a good singer or they're a good actor or they're a good athlete, but often their lifestyles don't match what we should be following after. Today we often call those people that we, that we want to imitate, we call them idols. In fact, there was a, a TV show recently, wasn't there, called American Idol. It's, it, it's funny how we don't sh shy away from actually saying that word, right? We, we have idols, and it's amazing to see that so many who have become famous they, they, they're, they're unknown, and then they become famous. And what do they do? They, they become arbiters of what is good and right. Their morality is what is, is pressed upon the rest of culture. I mean, people, I mean, it comes to mind, Oprah. Because I'm famous, I must be listened to. But just being famous does not make what you believe correct. No, they... They live lives that are often sexually immoral. Most, most of them glorify power and appearance and influence. Most worship money and fortune and fame. And how many of us, we, you know, we wake up each morning wanting to imitate, but how many of us wake up wanting to imitate God? That is my gold as I, as I, as I rise from my bed. That is, that is the gold of my life, that I desire to, to imitate God. And so that's my question for you. Because I think we're, we're, we're in a, a group of people, and, and I can say that I know many of you, and I, and I believe many of you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but, 
but I don't know all of you. And, and so there's some that may be here who, who aren't Christians, who have no desire to imitate God. And the truth is often we as Christians can, can need that reminder, right, that we need to, to be imitators of God because we often don't want to as much as we should. Remember, the Lord says this. He says, be holy. Be holy for, for I am holy. And we can often think that, oh, you know, it's just, it's just too, too difficult to, to imitate somebody that, that, that I can't see, that I, that, I, that I don't see with my eyes, or maybe it's too difficult to, to imitate somebody who's so different from us. So, he's so far removed from, from our circumstances. But we're reminded, aren't we, that in John chapter 1, that that God of, of heaven, it tells us that that God of heaven became flesh and, it, and he made his dwelling among us. And so if we want to imitate God, we, we can imitate who? We can imitate Christ. He gives us that better picture. And, but, but one of the things I was thinking is if... If Jesus came today, if Jesus came today, would, would the world receive him and want to imitate him? Different than it did 2,000 years ago. And it led me to this question, Mama, why, why do I esteem him? Why do I treasure him? And the reason that, that I do or that we do, if you're a Christian, the reason that you do is because He sought us out. It wasn't because there was something in us that we, we wanted to, to seek after God. No, He sought us out. Back in, in chapter 1, it says that he, cho he chose us in Him that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons to Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That even when we, in chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive together with Christ. That is why we esteem him. Just think about the world that, that Jesus came into. Isaiah 53 says this. Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 3 says, he had no form, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's the unbelieving world. That's what they think of Jesus Christ. They don't esteem him. But as we sang in, in our songs, we, we sang that we've been changed and, and we are new creations in Christ, and it's because of the work that He has done that He brings us into a, a relationship with Him that we do want to seek Him. Now, he had, for the world, though, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him because the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't fit the model of, of the modern idol, does He? Now, so it, when we think about unbelievers, it's, it's impossible for the unregenerate person to imitate Christ. Now, they despise Him. They, they esteem Him not because it is only those who have born, been born again by the Spirit of God that can esteem Him, only those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, in our, in our passage, he, he commands Christians to imitate God, but His command presupposes something. It, it presupposes that, that there, there has been a new birth in Christ, that we've been born again, that, but the, only the Christian can, can imitate God. Only the one who has been raised to new life with Christ by the Spirit of God has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Everyone else, if you were not a Christian, if you were not a Christian, you remain condemned under the wrath of God. That's the truth. And that's what this passage says. And one of the most troubling things I think in the, that we, we see in the church today and is really an apathy 
an apathy and a, and a false sense of security regarding salvation. Somebody will make a, a, pre, a, a profession of faith and we immediately conclude, yes, they're a believer, regardless of what their lives look like. You know, something that Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I'm going to butcher this quote, he said something that, that one of the worst things a, a preacher can do is to assume that the whole church is saved. Everybody in the assembly is saved. Why? Because we know that that's probably not the case. And so as we, as we look at our passage, we see these three points, and they're in your notes. Paul is saying, be imitators of God, and he commands us, first of all, what we are to do, and there's two points under that. Then he tells us what we are, are not to do, and there's two points under that. Then he tells us why we should not do them, and there's two points under that. So let's look at our, our first point, what we are to do. And he begins with imitate God. Be imitators of God. Verse 1, therefore, what Paul's doing is he, this is a, a statement that is looking back at what he's just said in, the, in chapter 4, verse 32, but, but he's also looking forward. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And you ever notice that and I've kind of touched on it. There's something in us that inclines us to love those who love us. Isn't that true? That don't you feel loved by those who, who love you? And, and don't you want to return that love to you? I mean, just think about a relationship between a father and a, and a son or a mother and, and, and a daughter. You know, the, the child of, of parents who, who love them unconditionally will, will want to respond to that love. And the child responds with being vulnerable and, and love and trust. And, and then the, the image or, or the way that that parent lives is, is imprinted on the child because they want to imitate mom and dad. You know, just two years ago, we, during COVID, we were meeting outside. And I was preaching a sermon, and I said this. I said, I, would, I was declaring that I would no longer be called Pastor Jeff. I would no longer be called Pastor Jeff because I was going to be Joel's grandfather. <laughs> when, you, when you have children, when you have grandchildren... There's this special relationship, and, and God has, in the last two years, I just think about how, how richly blessed I've been, that I can be Joel's grandfather, and Max's grandfather, and Silas's grandfather, and Denver's grandfather. Lord, thank you. But one of the things that I, I've marveled at, especially with, with Joel and Mac, is, is they're, they're getting older, is that... I love them, and, and I, I shower them with my love, and, and it is such an amazing thing to, you know, at first you say, you say, I love you, and then their parents say, you know, tell Pa you love him, right? And so they say, I love you, and at first what they're doing is they're, they're just really mimicking, aren't they? They're, they're being told, but, but as they're growing up, one of the things I see is that, that now it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not something that, I've, that they're forced to do. I, I mean, just the other day, I, I was talking to my wife on the phone, and Joel was there, and before, I mean, sadly, I hung up, and I didn't hear it. My wife texted me. Oh, he, he said, I love you, Pa. The word in verse 1 for imitator in Greek is mimetes. And it's, it's the word where, that we get mimic. We are to imitate. We are to imitate God. And in this verse, Paul appeals to, to this relationship, and he reminds believers that we are, we are what? We are God's children. 
that, that close relationship. And, and, and we know that, that we are children of God. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 16, he says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, as, as, as children of God, we, we no longer fear God. We don't have to fear God. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, we have been born from above and, in, and, the, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. But not only are, are believers children, but he tells us this, that we are beloved children. And this idea that we are beloved children has to do with us being in Christ because Christ is the beloved son, isn't he? I mean, when you think about the, the Father's love for Jesus Christ, it's, it's eternal. It's eternal, and, and, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit have, have shared this love. And, and Paul tells us back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, he says this, He, meaning God, predestined us. He predestined us, not everyone, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul's talking about being in Christ, that we are blessed in the beloved Son of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the beloved Son of God. He is the object of God's enduring love. And just think about this for a moment. We, who are vile sinners and deserving His justice, not, not His love, even, even though all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before an infinitely holy God, but despite our unworthiness, despite our wickedness, rebellion, and rebellion, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before we could do anything good or bad, before we deserved it, He chose us in Christ and poured out His love upon us. You know, that is why Paul can say, be imitators of God, because we are beloved children. We can imitate Him. When we speak of God's love, what we're talking about, or when we speak of imitating God, we're not talking about every one of His attributes but there are those attributes, what we call communicable attributes, that really refer to his, his moral attributes of love and goodness and kindness. Those are the things that we want to imitate in God. And in fact, in our passage, again, I, I mentioned this. Look back at, at verse 32 of chapter 4. Because, you know, Paul says, therefore, because of what I've just said, be imitators of God. And he says in verse 32, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. No, we, we desire to imitate Him, and so we, we do imitate Him. But second, the second command that He gives in, in verse 2, He says this, He says, walk in love. Again, this is another way that we imitate God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So first of all, we imitate God by forgiving one another, but we also imitate God by walking in love, and our love for one another imitates God's love that He has for us. Brothers and sisters, if, if we do not love one another, if we don't love other Christians, I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but I have heard this. Oh, I love Christ, but, but I don't really go to church. I don't love Christians. You know, Christian, I, I like your Christ, but I don't like Christ's people. But no, our love for each other, our love for the, for the brothers confirms our identity as children of God. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, he says, we know that we have been we have passed out of death into life. How do we know that we've been born again? How do we know that we have been given new life? He says, we know that we have pa passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, 
I think he's talking about the brothers, abides in death. If we don't love the people of God, how can we really confirm our love for God? No, we love the people of God, and that confirms our love for God. The person who does not love their fellow Christians is, is dead in sin, devoid of the, the Spirit of God. And, and just think of, of Paul's list of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? It's love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, and His Spirit produces love within us. But it's not just love for, for those that deserve it, is it? Jesus says, the Gentiles or, or the pagans do that. No, it's love for those who, who don't deserve it. No. We imitate God because, by loving because God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy and a God who sent forth His Son to, to save sinners, a God whose love is manifested in self-sacrifice. Therefore, we should be people where our love is manifested in self-sacrifice for one another. And so we, we look at these verses and we have to ask ourselves, how are, how are we imitating God? Is our imitation consistent with, with being a, a beloved child of God? You know, when, when my children were, were growing up, and I, I guess I would still say it to them, I just don't find that I have to as much. But we would tell our children that you're Lewis's. Lewis's live a certain way. Yes, we would say we were Christians, but, but we, had a, we, we wanted to have a family identity because Christians live differently. I mean, not all Christians are the same. And we wanted to have a family, identi a family identity, and so we wanted to, to, to tell our children, look, this is how we live. And, it, and my wife has told this story, and I don't know it exactly, but there was a time that our oldest, Chelsea, when, when she was over at somebody's house and there was a, a, a TV show or a movie that was going to be played, she's there and she's not sure whether she should be watching it. And she called my wife and, and talked to my wife and, you know, as she was getting older, my wife had to say, look, you, you know what is good and right. That's why you're... That's why you're calling. You have to make these decisions. It's like a coach. We've been training, we've been training, we've been training, and they start to imitate us. They start to know us. They start to know what, what we believe, and they start to embrace what we believe. So our, our identity, we are, we are Christians, and we're called to imitate God. We're told to walk in love. And so those were the, the positive things that we were to do, but, but this brings us to our second point in what we are not to do. And the first point is this, live immorally. We are not to live immorally. Look at verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, which I spoke on a couple weeks ago, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. He says, this is the way that unbelievers live. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul tells the Ephesians that, that this kind of conduct has no place among the saints. The saints are those who have been called out by God, who have been set aside for holy purposes. No, that has no place among the, the beloved children of God. And first he uses this word that's translated sexual immorality, it's, it's the word porneia. Obviously, we know the word that we get from that. It's, it's, it's where we get pornography, but it's really any type of, of lewd act or fornication or prostitution or, or sexual misconduct. 
but it has the idea of profaning a, a something that is, that is good. You know, back in October, there was an incident where some protesters, they, they were climate change protesters, went into a number of, of different uh, art galleries, and, and they took tomato juice, and they went into these art galleries, and, and they, they were trying to deface these, these beautiful paintings by throwing tomato juice on it because, the, because of their, their crazy ideas that, that this is somehow going to change the climate. And we could say, you know, how horrible it is that somebody would go and do something like that. That we would, that they would try to deface something so beautiful as this piece of art. We say that's horrible, but when we practice, when we practice sexual immorality, we are defacing what God has created as good and beautiful. And that's what the world, the world is doing that. God has made this amazing institution called marriage that is supposed to be this beautiful picture of, of Christ and the church, and yet the world is tearing it apart. And Paul is saying, look, church, don't have any of that named among you. It's improper for the saints. And maybe you're here and maybe you are, are struggling with sexual immorality or, or impurity. And impurity, you know, really covers everything because you could, you could try to list sexual immorality as that's this, 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 and this. Impurity just covers everything. Impurity in, in thought and deed. And, or maybe you're struggling with, with covetousness, wanting something that's not yours. Go back, and, go back to the Ten Commandments. Do not covet. Do not cover what? Your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's oxen. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're, you're, this is being displayed in, the, in your unthankfulness for what you have. So maybe you're, you're in that position. And, but listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says this in verses 9 through 11. He says, do not be deceived. He's kind of saying the same thing that we have here. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, or you were set apart, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Paul is, is saying, look, if you've been redeemed by, by God, that you've been given a, the Holy Spirit indwells you, you've been born again, then you're changed, you're, you're washed, you're sanctified, therefore don't do these things any longer. And he calls them to, to no longer walk as, as unbelievers and because you've been born again. And Paul tells the Romans that they were slaves to sin, but they have been, become obedient in the heart. He says, but thanks be to God in Romans 6 that you were once slaves of sin. You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of sin of righteousness. See, we have a new master. That master is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect in holiness. And we can imitate him. We can walk in that holiness. And these things that he's, he's talking about, it's the, that, that same power that, that freed Christ from the, from the grave has, has set you free from sin. And I know that we don't always walk in it, do we? No, but, but these things, Paul says, are, are not proper among the saints because the Holy Spirit inclines our hearts towards holiness and leads me to this question, what is the, 
the deepest desire of your heart. As you sit here this morning, are you thirsting for righteousness? See, if you're, if you're stuck in that battle, if you're stuck in that battle, the first thing has to be thirsting for righteousness. Because if you're not thirsting, then you're clearly not a believer. If you don't care about the way you live or the, the, your, your purity, if it has no effect on you that you want to be like Jesus Christ, then, then I'm concerned for you. But if you're a brother or sister here who, who is struggling in some way but has a, a desire, then there's, there's hope for you, isn't there? That you, would, that you would come and, you know, after the service, the pastors are going to be up front, come and, and get prayer, humble yourself. Now, what is the deepest desire of your heart? Are you thirsting for, for righteousness, knowing that our names are, are not written in the book of life because of our own righteousness? Our redemption is purchased by the precious blood of Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit applies that redemption, doesn't He? Where, and when the Holy Spirit applies that, that redemption, He gives us a new desire to follow after Christ. And, and God is, is in the process, as Christians, in, in renewing us into His image, into the image of Christ. And he's, what He's doing is he's, he's preparing us for eternity, isn't He? Now, in this life, I know we, we will not be sinless here, but... But God's grace will have an effect on us where we will sin less as He draws us and molds us into the image of Christ. So Paul is urging us to live in, in accordance with that truth. We are beloved children of God, saints cleansed by the blood of Christ, sealed by the Spirit of God and empowered by the Spirit to walk in newness of life. So we are not to live immoral, immorally, but we are also not to speak dishonorably. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, Paul here focuses on the speech of, of the believer, and he says that there are three types of speech that are out of place. He first says filthiness, and this is really just being obscene. Christians have no, should never be obscene. Secondly, he, he talks about ha not having foolish talk, and it's, it's moronic. It's, it's, it's not really clear what, what Paul was trying to drive at here, but it's moronic, foolish talk. It's irreverent, it's dishonoring, it's it's not clear like the truth, of, the truth of God's Word. Paul uses a, a different word that I think may help us. It, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble. Irreverent babble and contradictions of what, what is falsely called knowledge. Today, today in the church, and I say that I use that term church loosely. Today in the church, people will, will really talk foolishly. They'll basically give license to do what, whatever anybody wants to do. But it's foolish. It deviates from truth. It's empty, it's futile, it's vain, and it has no place in the church. And then the final thing that Paul tells us not to partake in is crude joking. Paul's not saying don't joke. There's a number of you here that there's this little wittiness. Paul's talking about that. There's a, there's a wittiness, and it's, there's, there's some wittiness that's perfectly acceptable, but, but the context is a, a wittiness 
that is being used in a, in a bad way, in, in a lewd way. And this is often somebody, if you work in the, in, the, in the world, it's often something you experience all the time, isn't it? Jokes about women, jokes about sex, jokes about everything. But it's not fitting for the people of God. And, and Paul finishes, he says, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. No, we, we shouldn't be using our lips for, for dishonor, but we should be using our lips for honor, being thankful to God, thankful for every good and perfect, perfect gift, thankful for the way that God has, has made us, thankful for each other, thankful for salvation, thankful for marriage, thankful for singleness. Now, that's the proper response. Gratitude, as the author of Hebrew writes, he says this in Hebrews 13, 15, through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. See, thanksgiving is proper for the believers in Jesus Christ because we have been blessed with so many things. You know, anybody listen to Dave Ramsey? What is Dave Ramsey's statement? People call in. He says, how are you? They say, oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm better than I deserve. <laughs> it's kind of cliche. I know some people probably don't like that he just says that every time. But it's true. Every one of us is better than we deserve. Therefore, there should be no grumbling Well, we, a person who is ungrateful can't fully comprehend the, what Christ has accomplished on the cross, can he? No, we've been... Christ became a servant and died on a cross for you. And he's given you new life in him. Anything more is just a greater blessing. We, we are better than, than we deserve. And then Paul moves in our final point, why should we do them? Or why should we not do them? First is no inheritance. Look at verse 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And this is why it's so important that, that we put off the old self and put on the new. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And every believer has an inheritance guaranteed for them in heaven regardless of our sin. Whether you've committed these sins or other sins, we, that inheritance is stored up for us. And so, but what Paul is saying here is that, that believers must no longer live like the Gentiles or, or the immoral pagans because not a single unbeliever will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. No, they're, they're excluded from, from the life of God, they're spiritually dead, and they're objects of God's wrath. But what you notice about those who are lost and those who are, are, are not following Christ is that their identity reflects their, their lifestyle, doesn't it? How somebody lives reflects whether they have a relationship with God. And, and the direction in which somebody walks indicates where they're going. And a lot of people claim to be Christians in our culture that we live in, and a lot of people claim to be Christians, but someone who is blatantly unrepentant and promotes ungodly behavior as a way of life reveals that they do not or will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is what, that is what Paul is saying here. They, they can call themselves what, whatever they want. They, they can claim to believe whatever they want to believe, but their, their lives speak louder than their words, don't they? I mean, think about it for a moment. 
If there is nothing in you that makes you want to imitate Christ, nothing in you that makes you want to imitate Christ, what makes you think that you're going to be with Him in heaven? Or that you are... What makes you think that you'll be like Him in heaven? You know, if you love... If the love of Christ and and what He has accomplished on the cross doesn't move your heart, then there's something that is missing. And I would beg you and plead with you, there's not something that doesn't... If, if what Christ has done on the cross doesn't move you to love Him and to want to be like Him, then I want, I want to implore you to turn your heart to Him because Christ says some of the most difficult things for those who live in a way that that dishonors Him. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, he says, on that day, on that day of judgment, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and do mighty works in your name? And then, well, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, many people are, are content with a simple profession of faith and, and go on living as nothing has changed. But every true believer, every true, true believer has been changed by God and by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And He gives us a desire to live like Him. And so, this is just a warning for us as, as brothers and sisters. You, you may know people like that, that, that claim to be Christians. They say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, yet they have no fruit at all. What is it that you tell them? What is it that you tell them? Oh, you made a profession of faith, you're in. I don't, I think that does them a, a disservice. I think we, we tell them, look, this is, we tell them this. We tell them, look, Christians live in a particular way because of what Christ has done for them. So we admonish and we encourage and we say, come on, follow me as, as I follow Christ. One pastor said this, he said, this is the test of all conversions. It is the best evidence of Christianity, and it's this, it's moral transformation. Now, don't get me wrong, moral transformation does not get you into heaven, right? It's God's transforming work that gets you into heaven. Because we can, I've seen people, I've seen people come to church, I've, I've seen them, been, they've been there for a while, and it lo- they look somewhat like Christians, but they, they simply walk, they walk away. John will say this, he says, they, they went out from us because they were not all of us. But they went out in order to show that not all are of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. We should... We should... Uh, Remind people, remind people of these things, and remind each other, each other of these things. Now, why should, we, why should we not do these things that Paul says? Well, first, we have no inheritance, but, but lastly, we do it because of the wrath of God. The second reason we should not practice these things is because of the wrath of God. Verse 6 and 7, Paul says this, he says, "'Let no one deceive you with empty words.'" For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So yeah, we, we have no business being partners with, the, with people in immorality. You know, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 5 that we don't judge those in the church, and, and or we don't judge those outside the church, we judge those in the church. But he, when he says you'd have to go out of the world, he doesn't mean that we participate with them. We are in the world. 
And we are loving those in the world. And we're not judging those in the world. But what we're not doing is living like those in the world. Paul again says, let no one deceive you with empty words. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the sons of disobedience. Those, they, are, they are those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Paul says that they walk according to the, to the prince of the power of the air, the, who is Satan. They live in, in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the dire, desires of the flesh and mind, and they are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, look, look at the world around us, and we see so many so-called professing Christians who proudly despise that truth. But Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What are those words? You're okay? I'm okay? Everybody's okay. You're okay? I'm okay? Everybody's okay. Those are the deceptive words. It's because of the sons of disobedience that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's because of these things that they do, these things that they live in. And we are not to be partners with them. You know, they, people tell people, oh, you're okay, I'm okay. No, not, everybody's not okay. Let's make our calling and election sure. Let's live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that, that brings Him glory. We are saints. We are holy ones. We, are, we have been set aside for a holy purpose. Therefore, we should live in such a way that brings Him glory and honor. That's our calling. We are to be imitators of God. We are to love as Christ loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for causing us to be born again from a living hope, from Jesus Christ, from the dead. And Lord, we thank you that we have an inheritance in heaven. Lord, I do want to pray for for those in our midst or those in, in the hearing of this, Lord, that they would examine themselves to see if they are of the faith. Lord, I pray for our church that we would be a people that are holy before you. Lord, that we would be imitators of God, that we would love as Christ loved, that we would put away these things that are sexually immoral, impure, covetous, and put away lips that dishonor you. Lord, again, we thank you for this, this morning that we can gather to worship you. You are the only holy one. Lord, we come to you in our weakness. We come to you in our sinfulness, knowing that we find grace and mercy in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen.